With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Today, DCS program, uh, we share in conversation with the young fellows about mental health. Uh, it was centered around a real-life incident that took place down here in South Florida of a 17-year-old black male uh, that committed suicide uh, via uh placing himself in front of a train. Uh, the family was the, the care group that he's involved with that we sometimes call families, uh, was literally suffering. Uh, the, the mom, the attempted mom was put out, was being put out of the hotel that they were staying in. Uh, the, the deceased black male had just uh, signed a full athletic scholarship to Georgia Tech, uh, but he basically, according to the uh, report, he was more concerned immediately about his personal care group and thought that by him going off to quote-unquote school that it would be a hindrance to him participating in the immediate uh issues involving his care group. Uh, Mr. Clark actually uh, was asked by the mom and he uh, assisted her by getting her a job, by helping her get a job being employed by a, uh, another non-white black male uh, that's a close uh, associate of his. Uh, but her complaint was the money was not coming in soon enough. And as we know, in, time, in those times, you know, the children suffer. They also are emotionally uh, detached. And, of course, this uh, sibling, uh, I guess, was detached to the point to where as, uh, he uh, got to the point to where as he just uh, decided to end his life in regards to assuming that in regards to by doing that, it was somehow uh, assist, the, assist the issue. Uh, wasn't able to reach out to anybody before he uh, made that decision. Uh, nevertheless, uh, that was discussed uh, amongst with these uh, younger non-white black males. Uh, the whole issue that what you were talking about, about uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, actually. So I'll... I, before I get it all processed, 
Uh, I, I, I just won't say anything at all about it. But uh, nevertheless, that's my report for the, for, uh, the day so far. Thank you. Much obliged. <clears throat> Retired firefighter. That is, uh, mm, wow. That's, uh, that is devastating. Uh, I just, they, they just had a report, several reports. They were talking about an increase in suicides among uh, black children. And uh, I was trying to get one of the authors that they had. These are like major reports that were looking at this trend. And I was trying to get one of the authors of the study on the program. But that is, uh, wow. Especially with black males, it rose to a, a very high level, especially with young black males. According to one alarming recent study, focusing on just one state during the first weeks of the lockdown, but alarming nonetheless, suicide mortality among African Americans nearly doubled, while decreasing substantially among white residents. Suicide is a difficult topic to discuss, but the suicide of a Roxbury man almost five years ago has inspired his father to encourage other African Americans to talk about the subject. He says the black community has avoided discussing suicide for too long. In the latest installment of our series, Suicide, A Crisis in the Shadows, WBUR's Lynn Jolliker has the story of that young Roxbury man who managed to fend off mental illness for years and how his suicide spurred his father into action. He's hearing from clinicians in Boston's African-American community that suicide is on the rise even if it's not yet reflected in confirmed suicide statistics. National data show the suicide rate for African Americans has stayed fairly steady and significantly lower than for white Americans, though a recent study shows a suicide increase among black children. Feaster started a support group of sorts at his church, Morning Star Baptist Church in Mattapan. About 30 people came to the initial meetings to talk about mental illness and suicide. When I started sharing about it, people started to share. And I remember one person said, you know, I thought my son was just being lazy, that he wouldn't get up, he wouldn't go to school, he wouldn't do etc. Well, never recognized that he was suffering from depression. We have had a relatively good history of looking at suicide in, in Native American, American Indian populations, because there's high rates there as well. But specifically Black Americans, the rates have been going up faster than they have in white Americans, but we're recognizing more and more that risk for suicide is up there and increasing for black Americans, especially, especially younger, younger black, black, black males. In the white population, we see suicides more in middle age and sort of very old, like after 85, but the risk period is highest for black Americans around age 20. And that's arguably much more tragic to, to lose someone so young. Black brother, black brother to hell. Context, Context. of... White supremacy. There we go. No echo. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, June 15, 2021. So I have been told. Send out an email if you or use social media got a little flummox send up a post let folks know whatever social media you use uh, especially for attempted black parents or even if you are a black person non-white person you work with younger people or maybe you have nieces nephews cousins whatever it is send out uh, folks 
information, let them know they can tune in, listen live or via the phone uh, to get information that might be helpful for black mental health, especially for children, black children. Before we push off into the broadcast, man, anyone who has listened to the context of white supremacy for any length of time, they have heard me say before, like, resist the urge to classify a black person as lazy. That happens so frequently. System of white supremacy. Black people, for whatever reason, black people don't read. Ah, they're lazy. Black people don't vote. Ah, they're lazy. Black people don't eat well. Ah, they're lazy. Like, there's a long history of that being justification for all manner of white terrorism and racism. Just say, oh, we got a lazy black person. You know, you got to beat them. They deserve a good beating. You know, they deserve they need a little slavery because they're kind of lazy. You can't get them, can't get them to do anything, you know, for years. And I've said this like there should be a pause immediately when somehow this conversation has shifted. We just got this lazy black person here. Like, well, 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 that is that is such an easy one to fall back on. Like, let's make sure. And in this context to hear like why. And I mean, I appreciate the honesty. Like, man, I just thought. He was just lazy. I didn't think like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe he's not getting out of bed or just watching TV all day and all the rest. Not doing well in school. Maybe there's some depression or some mental health. I didn't just thought we had a lazy black person here. Resist the urge to label black people or an individual black person as lazy. Not that you don't have lazy black people, but can get uh, excessive with that label. Incidentally, I guess the other thing to make sure I get in. Wow. We have mentioned the concept of black misandry many times over the past few years. Dr. Curry has talked about this uh, many times. Dr. T. Hassan Johnson. But wow. Retired firefighters speaking uh, like a prophet. What is it? Especially black males. And then we switch to WGPH and NPR and many major outlets talking about this issue over the past year and a half or so, two years and they said exactly that especially for young black males there's a teaspoon of black male privilege for you right there our guest for today's broadcast uh, he said when I spoke with him he said he considers this his ministry Dr. Welsing she might say cosmic assignment I know she talked a lot about black mental health too third generation physician child and adult psychiatrist Uh, but I guess for today he says talking about this issue super important he has his own personal motivations uh, for that Uh, he in fact we played a segment where he participated in a round table uh, about this issue and some of the myriad of factors uh, that are leading to the increase in suicides for young black people especially black boys we'll talk about some of those risk factors tips things that parents can be mindful to be observant about to try as best you can to look out for the health safety and mental well-being of your offspring 
so thankful to have him as a guest on the program. We even they even had interference, like I was trying to dial him up, and it's seeming like you know we were getting blocked a little bit, but persevered nonetheless. So glad that he could share a little bit of his Tuesday evening with us uh, in addition to the fantastic work that he does uh, working with parents uh, about black mental health uh, he's currently the court appointed receiver for the Roxbury Comprehensive Community Health Center uh, he is also president of Feaster Enterprises a strategic planning organizational development and community outreach consulting firm uh, he has practiced law uh, for a number of decades and uh, again attempted father super important title to include as well so thankful to have him on the program with us live joining us Mr. Joseph D. Feaster Mr. Feaster you're with us sir yes I am Justin thank you so much uh, listening intently to your lead into this program very impressive and I'm glad that you reached out to me uh, from 3,000 miles away in order to, uh, to participate in this and bring some some education and some thoughts on the subject of suicide and mental illness to your guest, um, to your uh, listening audience. So I'm happy to be here. Pleasure is ours, sir, and much obliged to retired firefighter in Florida uh, for sharing, you know, such a personal moment with us. That was from January 18th, 2020 just so that we can time stamp about a year and a half ago when he was sharing about this young male who passed away in South Florida. And I said that was before the pandemic. Some of the reports that we've heard, they talked about how the pandemic has exacerbated this mental health problem for young black people, especially black boys. Uh, but before we get into uh, the details, anything that you would like to share with our listeners, Mr. Feaster, about the work that you do, who you are? Yeah, uh, I will. Uh, but Gus, I I did listen to the um, the broadcast by that firefighter in Florida about the young man who uh, died by suicide via a train, uh, and that's not uncommon. And we'll talk about what some of those things that people can look out for, uh, the uh, uh, the signs that may motivate that, the circumstances where one may be depressed. So. I mean, I feel for that, uh, the situation that was described by the firefighter, but I can suggest to you that that's not unusual, that one might die by vehicle, die by train, die by police, uh, you know, suicide by police. All of those things are the possibilities. But I come to this space, uh, you know, as, and as you said at the top of the program, um, I consider this a ministry because I had the experience. My son uh, died by suicide August 3rd, 2010. Um, and actually since that time, I've been involved with a number of different organizations uh, trying to educate and be supportive of either one um assisting persons who are afflicted with mental illness and trying to uh, deter them from uh, suicidality or in terms of dealing with caregivers who have been affected by uh, the fact that they have lost someone by death by suicide. So uh, it's a subject which is near and dear to me in order to be helpful to folks and I'd be willing to share as much as I can uh, with your listening audience this evening 
Much obliged, sir. Uh, for folks who have not seen pictures or video of you speaking, uh, you are a black male. Is that correct? Absolutely. Through and through for 71 years. Right on. Right on. Uh, oh, uh, this wasn't on my list to ask, but uh, you're in the age range since you volunteered. Um, Marvin Gaye is very close to me, even though he's not in my age bracket. Uh, that's like more my parents right. folks generation, but it doesn't matter. Like, uh, right. I got it. Uh, we were just talking about his 50 year anniversary of what's going on. Mentioned Dr. Welsing and everything right. else. Like, do you have yeah. any thoughts 50 years from what's going on? Do you remember when that album came out and, and any thoughts uh, how that album even might be relate to black mental health? Well, like in terms of what's going on, I heard it through the grapevine. Uh, you know, in terms of, I know, uh, in terms of Marvin Gaye uh, from that era, I, that was my era, the era of the 60s and 70s. Um, my, my sense is that I would, uh, with regards to the subject matter of what we're speaking of now, uh, certainly mental illness existed in our community back then, but if you don't think that we discuss it and address it much now, uh, certainly that was the circumstances uh, back during that time frame that folks would just sh- shutter it away, want to ignore it, act like it didn't exist. And I'm sure, um, you know, some of the music back at that time addressed that particular issue, and I'm sure that some of the lyrics from Marvin Gaye uh, were very poignant in saying, hey, what's going on in our community? we got to address a number of things because he also addressed it from a civil rights perspective as well. So there was a lot going on with uh, Marvin Gaye, and uh, he definitely was uh, an inspiration for me as I was coming up as a young man. I thought so. Self-destruction in my hand, flying high in the friendly sky. (laughs) I would encourage folks to read the lyrics on that one, maybe listen to it. Put it on repeat maybe a few times if you need to, but self-destruction in my hand, flying high in the mm-hmm. friendly sky. Woo, Marvin Gaye, the legend. Uh, all right, so the question yes, we sir. ask all I'm sorry? No, I said yes, sir. I was agreeing with you with everything you were just saying about Marvin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for this program... Uh, we ask all of our guests, uh, I use the term racism and white supremacy, which I think is at the root of all of these black mental health issues. Uh, but the definition I use for both of those uh, those terms, racism and white supremacy, is as follows. We got a attorney here. My goodness. Oof, exciting. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Well, I certainly that has been historically It's not whether I agree or not. Uh, if you're at all um, uh, a purveyor or reader of history uh, that has been demonstrated uh, throughout the centuries that that was the case in terms of that type of subjugation 
with regards to the treatment of black and brown people uh, throughout the world. Uh, it has been exacerbated uh, within the past 20 or so years uh, here uh, in the United States, whereby folks look used to look at it from as as if it was a historical phenomenon. They'll talk about slavery. They'll talk about well, from 1619, terms of which what uh, what occurred. They'll talk about it during uh, during uh, the slavery. They'll talk about it during Reconstruction. They'll talk about it during the first part of the of the 20th century. Uh, uh, as you know, with the passage of Jim Crow laws and et cetera, and then we come to the civil rights move, uh, era in the fifties and the sixties, and we think that things have changed. Uh, and lo and behold, we come to twenty twenty one, and we find out uh, even before that, quite frankly, because it came uh, came it reared its head during the time when President Obama was elected as president of these United States, uh, and. And now exacerbated during the uh, the time of the person who just left the White House, and we see what happened on January sixth. So yes, um, your I think your definition is accurate, and in, in in that, and we have many examples. We if you talk about Rosewood in terms of community, if you talk about Tulsa as far as a community, so yes, your definition is accurate and. It probably is another reason for you can draw the line between that and what has happened as far as um, mental illness and and uh, and suicides in the black and brown community. Mm. Unfortunately, but much obliged for your response, sir. Um, I guess before we kind of get to the meat of the matter, I thought this was important, even though it's not. Well, I guess not directly related to uh, black mental health, uh, just by trade, uh, you're in the field of law. Uh, what I guess what's your specific uh, area of expertise in law? I have several, but I primarily deal with real estate zoning and licensing. Uh, I can do litigation, uh, do uh, probate, which would be in a lot of states that we dealing with wills and trusts and things of that nature. Uh, but one of my larger area, primary areas is real estate and uh, and zoning. Hmm. Okay. And how many how many years have you? I said I guess primarily with real estate and zoning. How many years have you been in that field? Uh, well, I've been practicing. Well, I yeah, I've been a practicing attorney here in Massachusetts for forty five years. Wow. Uh, and I have and I have been. Uh, uh, probably real estate and zoning uh, since 1994. Uh, so uh, was that uh, uh, 27 years? Uh, so, yeah. Lengthy experience. Okay. Massachusetts. Fascinating. Okay. So whew, let's see. Can can you share, or maybe it, I'll be fascinated either way. Can you share like one of the more significant ways that you've had to deal with racism in your practice of law in real estate and zoning? Well, I, you know, I, um, my sense, well, first and foremost, zoning and zoning is, uh, local and political. Uh, and that, that'll happen whether it's in Seattle, whether it's Los Angeles, New York, uh, or here in Massachusetts. 
So that's the first thing. When you go into communities, uh, you're oftentimes going to have uh, persons of many different races who are going to be concerned about what's going to happen as far as the real estate, uh, the development that's going to be taking place in their community, who's going to occupy those, uh, those residences or commercial buildings and the type of things that are going on. And, of course, as a black attorney, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but in terms of as a black attorney, you may go into certain neighborhoods whereby just the fact of uh, who you are may be such that, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, there will be opposition to your, to your project. So you see it, you learn it, you try to overcome it, you use strategies in order to get around it. But at the end of the day, what you want to do is successfully, uh, uh, if you will, prosecute the matter to, to, uh, to get for your client uh, the result that they were seeking or advise them what they need to do in order to do that if, in fact, you know, there's going to be various stages of the, uh, of, of the engagement on trying to accomplish a particular result. So, you know, yep, yep, you run into it. If, you know, if you're black in America, you're going to run in, into in terms of the racism. But, you know, I'm a New Yorker first and foremost. I was born in the Bronx, raised in Queens, worked in Brooklyn, partied in Manhattan. So I know how to handle my business. So, you know, you do what you need to do to get the job done. BK, all right, gotcha. <laughs> Mr. Feaster, uh, let's see. Uh, wow, now that is fat. That, that's a whole separate program about zoning and the politics of zoning and real estate. As he said, local <clears throat> and political, often the politics of racism, white supremacy. And then they see you've got a black attorney, like, oh my gosh, like, oh, <laughs> like, uh, in fact, well, well oh, just think about Gus, Gus. Just think about it. There was a history whereby, through through Federal, and I I would recommend that folks read a book by uh, uh, by um, uh, Rothstein by R- Richard Rothstein called The Color of Law, and it'll talk to you about because it's entitled The Color of Law: A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America, where it was government policies which dealt with. Uh, you know, that's the reason why we have an issue now with the question of wealth or the lack thereof uh, with, 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 with black people in America because everything was stripped away both by governmental policies plus by what individuals because of racism. So as a result of both of those, we weren't able to get the wealth. So, for instance, couldn't own the land. Uh, then when you could own the land, you, you were – uh, indentured servant or, or sharecropper, and then after that, during uh, after the uh, when you get to the after the wars, uh, folks fought and died for this country, but they couldn't get uh, VA loans and FHA loans and all the things which enabled the white community to begin to accumulate the wealth. So, a study here in in uh, the Federal Reserve here in Massachusetts found that the average white person's uh, Income is around two hundred and I think fifty thousand dollars. The average black person is eight dollars. So that's what we're talking about when you talk about the effects of racism. We had governmental policy as well as uh, individual policies which prevented folks from 
realizing their dream, and that's why the whole discussion of reparations uh, is a worthy one to have. Context of white supremacy, Mr. Joseph D. Beaster, uh, and very related <clears throat> to his response. Uh, they all this talk recently, the past month or so, Mr. Feaster. Now he mentioned uh, Rosewood in Florida. Uh, there's been all the conversation about Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and the centennial. I don't want to call it anniversary, but the recognition of 100 years uh, since the terrorist assault. <clears throat> and I pointed out that they're, uh, according to Elliot Jaspin's work, buried in the bitter waters. Uh, this happened at least 260 times. These types of purges of black people uh, from an area and taking all their property. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Talk about wealth gap. Absolutely. When you've taken stolen uh, someone's house or business or both uh, everything that they own, except what they can carry out if they can save their lives, much less maybe you kill the breadwinner of the family, so-called. Uh yeah, that has an enormous financial toll. That also has a mental health toll. And that, I mean, talk about not talking about. That's something that doesn't get talked about at all. And people have talked about epigenetics. To segue, I guess, to the theme of the broadcast in terms of someone experiencing that, a black person in Tulsa, Rosewood, Arkansas, again, at least 260 times. <laughs> You experience that, you go through that mental health trauma, maybe it get or probably doesn't get addressed, maybe you don't even talk about it, we heard that a lot, that just gets passed on, genetically one generation to the other, and we're still dealing with racism, so thinking of all of that as we kind of segue, uh, you as an attorney, I don't think, I guess, maybe you are an expert at many things, uh, but it doesn't seem like you were too focused on mental health uh, before you began dealing with issues with your son. Is that something that you focused on? Were you interested in mental health issues before? Well, only in a, uh, only in the in in the fact that I I for since 1988 I've been involved with the community health center movement, uh, and I know that you have health community health centers there in Seattle as well. Uh, and from that standpoint, we always had a conversation around how behavioral health was not given the same treatment as physical health. And so we always raised a concern. In fact, I was looking over in preparation for tonight's uh, broadcast. Uh, I was looking at having gone uh, going down at, um, at a Congressional Black Caucus uh uh, meeting and making a presentation on that issue some 15 years ago. So I was always interested in that dichotomy uh, between physical health and behavioral health. Certainly with the advent of my son's death by suicide, uh, that has heightened my involvement. And as I describe it, uh, I've, I see it as my ministry in order to talk about it because I've now, I've now walked in the shoes of those persons who are caregivers have had a person who has uh, died by suicide. So, so yes, my, uh, while my interest was there because of my involvement with the community health centers, it definitely was heightened and focused, uh, once my, uh, um, I lost my son. How old was your son when he 
took his own life? Okay. Well, I just want to get you that in uh, the terminology in 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 the uh, those of us who do on suicide, we talk about death by suicide. That's that's what we could, that that's the terminology we use. We try to educate folks to use that. But uh, he was twenty seven, or he yes, he was twenty seven at the time when he uh, when he passed. Um, you know, uh, again, um, uh, a great a great young man. Um, College educated, had, you know, graduated from UMass Boston, had attended University of Pittsburgh for a period of time, graduated from UMass Boston, and was in a graduate program at Northeastern University at the time of his uh, uh, death by suicide. Death by suicide. Wow. And 27, and that exactly what they were talking about in the report to be at such a young age while we're having the whole program uh i've heard you do several talks and you said that i guess your son that he did have a few episodes where you thought oh wow i think he might need some some resources some mental health resources so he did have a few moments where you might have thought he needed help yes yes well in fact uh one of the lead-ins to to your program was talking about the age of where it is, whereas I think it says in terms of white community is usually older persons. In the black community, it's younger people, usually around the age of 20. That's exactly at the time when my son went off to school, from high school off to the University of Pittsburgh for college. It wasn't until he returned from that first, from his first years uh, there, that any evidence of, of of any mental illness that occurred. I've seen nothing prior to that, which no signs at all. Um, but they became evident when he returned. I will say to you, Gus, that it's the, the age of those who, uh, in the, particularly in the black community, has is even younger than that now. And I am certain that it's been exacerbated by what's going on with this pandemic, with this, some of the isolation the inability to see friends, the inability to socialize, inability to participate in sports. I am sure that we will learn that the numbers have increased uh, significantly even over this past uh, this past year and a half. So, so yes, we find that the age is in and around uh, that 19, 20-year-old uh, seems to be the point I would say probably numeric age-wise, probably one of the more prominent age age ranges for uh, um, evidences of mental illness uh, on the part of uh, black males uh, in this country. Hmm. With with your son, did you see any evidence that he was, that there was anything specific that was, causing him any trouble while he was going through school at that age or was it just you know that's a difficult age for a lot of folks apparently especially for younger black males at that age 18 19 trying to transition to so-called adulthood they say did you i know this can be tough you know with hindsight being 2020 but did it seem like he was experiencing anything specifically or just having a tough time in general no, well, I would say there's no evidence of even having, uh, displaying anything of suffering or, you know, having a, a tough time. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I would say just the opposite. Uh, you know, he was academically, uh, uh, socially, 
uh, athletically well, well positioned, just like the young man that you mentioned in the, uh, that the, um, firefighter mentioned in, uh, in Florida. He said, I think if, if, if I recall what the statement by the, was made by the firefighter, he said this young man was getting ready. He had the scholarship to go off, uh, to play sports in the school. So there was nothing which showed. There wasn't anything in the sense of some, yes, but there are signs that can be missed. There are signs that, that uh, one should be looking for because sometimes the signs are there and we just miss them. But I would say to you that uh, as I reflect back, uh, those were, were not there. My, my sense of, see, people think of uh, mental illness oftentimes as if the brain isn't an organ of the body. Uh, and I, again, in my conversations with folks, even though I'm not a clinician, but I'm sure clinicians will tell them, yeah, the brain is an organ. Uh, yeah, it may do a different function in the heart and the lungs and, uh, and the liver and et cetera, but it has its role. And if there is something which is damaged uh, within the brain, then you're going to have the effects which will bring on the issue of mental illness. So sometimes it's not external factors that may create the reason for one wanting to commit suicide. That can happen. They also can be um, physiological uh, and issues within the brain, which will require it as well. But I try to stay out of the clinical side, Gus, because I'm not a doctor. Uh, and I would say to bring a doctor on who could better explain how some of those circumstances can be. But there can be trauma, which may one may experience, and we have that in the community. We have post-traumatic stress from situations of people being around, watch, seeing people killed, uh, you know, et cetera, uh, which can also trigger these things. Certain, uh, as in this case here, this with this young man in Florida that was mentioned earlier with the death uh, by train, uh, you know, it seemed to be there was going to be some disruption in with his mother and, and the household where that created the type of trauma that uh, had an impact on him. So we can look for signs, but in my own case, there was nothing which would have given me an indication until that first episode, and then I only had three. Uh, episodes before my son died by suicide um, that would have brought any attention to the fact that he was suffering from some type of mental illness. With your son, you said you had three episodes. You eventually, you had to call enforcement officials to, to help get resources for your child, yes? Oh, absolutely. Well, as I, uh, yes, uh, uh, I'll answer your question, and I'll expand on it. Yes, uh, in the uh, in the first in, in, um, episode, which occurred immediately the summer when he came home from his after his first year at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, that was one whereby you know I he was living in one of my properties in uh, in Boston, um, and uh, and I went by and because I work in Boston, I, I would go by often, um, and fine, he jumped off the bed and, and attacked. Um, and I got out. Um, I was familiar with, we have what's called Section 12, and that when you utilize that process, you work with a, 
Um, and if they don't have it in other communities, they ever consider this because this is helpful in both letting the um, not only will law enforcement come, but there also will be EMS and others will come because they know that the person is experiencing a mental uh, episode. Because as we've seen in many instances, when that's not the case where there is the knowledge, one just may call 911 and say uh, say something is going on. Uh, if If the person is violent, in their interaction with the police, someone's going to get hurt, and it's usually in terms of the person uh, who was suffering the mental episode. Um, and this process, this Section 12, allowed for them to come. I remember I was there, and they had the special ops unit. They went in. They brought my son out. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm there uh, totally in tears watching as they uh, took him out. Um, basically hogtied, uh, and in terms of, uh, but he was taken to the hospital. So that was the first episode. And then from there, it was just a question of, since I, I, I'm well-known and, uh, and had an ability to garner certain types of resources, but again, my son was uh, 20 years old at that time. Um, the, that's the other thing. The system for behavioral health and mental illness are, is broken. I think throughout the country it may be getting a little bit better now that we talk more about it because before it was some secret discussions about mental illness, but we talk about it more. But there weren't the resources that existed at that particular point in time. Uh, but, uh, but there's also the denial by the person who's afflicted with mental illness. They don't see it as... Uh, that they have mental illness, and that's the other issue. Uh, the uh, you know, my son certainly did that. Uh, it was the denial because he could function um, when these episodes were were not there, uh, and whereas others may have two and three episodes, um, you know, even in within a week, I had three in a matter of uh, uh, nine years. So I guess I can consider myself blessed. Um, um, in that regard. But, yes, you try to find the resources, try to get them to it, but you can't force them if they're adults for sure. Um, so it's very, very difficult. They don't seem to want to treat behavioral health issues the same way if one was experiencing a, um, a heart attack. People respond differently from one uh, experience a heart attack than one who's uh, experiencing a mental health uh, episode. As I describe it, if one was experiencing a heart attack, everyone would be stand back, allow the person to breathe, call 911. Person experiencing a mental health episode who may be tearing off their clothes or brandishing some type of uh, instrument or weapon, uh, the call to 911 and the reaction of the crowd is entirely different and oftentimes responses as well. So we as a society have to determine how we are going to uh, look at and view mental illness. Is it an illness or is it not? Context of white supremacy. Uh, I guess that's, that is the title of the program, but just to, to put Mr. Feaster's response in context, especially 
when the victims of mental health crises are black people, black males especially, is mental health an illness or is it not? Seems often like it's a crime, regardless. Um, Speaking of crime, uh, did I get the details correct? You described uh, one of the episodes with your son where enforcement officials, they they arrived and did they use uh, beanbags to kind of help, I guess, control your child? Oh, yeah. Well, they, yes, well, they had to uh, break down the door in order to, you know, because he was in a manic, he was in a manic state and they use, yeah, they use the, 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 I don't know what the, the exact uh, gun, but it wasn't bullets and it wasn't the, but, but it was a matter that they, yes, they were able to subdue him, subdue him by using uh, uh, some type of, um, and I guess maybe it was the beanbags, uh, in order to be able to, uh, to get him and to be able to get him to the medical care that he needed. Yes. Make sure I preface, I'm not a doctor. Uh, Mr. Feaster is a male after my own heart. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to get on here and pontificate and pretend that I have, you know, a whole lot of fancy degrees or medical expertise because I don't. All of that said, um, I don't, if someone is having a, a mental health crisis, um, beanbags, you said, you know, you had to watch in tears as your son was hogtied. The, Going to your question, like, so is this an illness? Are we responding to someone who's in a state of mental health crisis? Or are we responding to a criminal? I mean, is that like, is that the only way? Like, I know you got to be safe. You want to make sure that you as a health provider are safe and others. You said he attacked you. So, I mean, you want people to be safe, everyone to be safe. And you want your child or whoever the victim is to get safe. But I mean, you hogtie criminals. I've seen people get killed with uh, those beanbags. That's what they used on the protesters out there saying, you know, you're you're out here uh, disturbing the peace and such not and shooting them down with with beanbags. I mean, this to me, it just seems like a lot of this is we're responding as though this is a criminal or prowler, potential rapist of some sort, not someone, as you said, who's go ahead. Yes, sir. No, but, 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 you know, again, I, I, you have to put yourself in the context of when you see a loved one who is in the situation whereby you are, you need to have them extracted from a place that they don't want to leave because of the amanic state where they can be harmful to themselves. Now, you know, just to give you an example, my uh, son in, uh, in, in, in the, Two later episodes, including the one which uh, which resulted in his death, he jumped out of that third same third floor window. Uh, you know, so therefore, for me, hey, uh, if there was if that was using the as I said, the section twelve was a means by which they were going to restrain him in a manner in which they could get him to the medical facilities. Uh, then I'm for all for. I'm not dis- describing it by what it may look like, what it is. So long as he came out of there unscathed uh, uh, and um, and either physically 
um, or in some way injured uh, as a result of that, then I'm good with it. Uh, so, I, you know, and that's the reason why I say, yes, in those situations where there are not uh, procedures in place where folks aren't trained to address uh, circumstances when one is ex- uh, having a, a mental health episode, in those instances, in most instances, Gus, you're going to find those persons are going to wind up uh, uh, injured, maimed, or, or 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 dead because of the type of response. Because many times, if they're in a manic state, they're going to respond uh, violently, and the response is going to be violently by 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 the police. So whether it's red, black, blue, or green, I can suggest to you that that's going to be the be the response. And that's the reason why I'm saying that the adoption of what we have here in Massachusetts, or at least in Boston, Section 12, would be something worthy of other police departments and communities to take advantage of. Section 12 program they have in Boston, Massachusetts. We'll get more details. Unscathed, that is the goal. Unscathed, uh, as I said, not a medical professional, and certainly you want the person uh, extracted unscathed so that they can get the help they need. But uh, are we responding criminal or an illness? Keep that in mind as we kind of discuss things. I'll give out the number for folks to, if you have questions for Mr. Feaster, the number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. I guess especially if parents, black parents out there, if you have a question uh, you'd like to ask, uh, feel free. Don't be a spectator. Uh, Before I get to some of the folks who dialed in, uh, I guess you already touched about it. There were already reports before the pandemic talking about how the suicide rates for black youth, especially black boys, was increasing and how the pandemic has made things worse. Uh, do you have any uh, tips uh, for things parents can be doing if they notice some things, uh, I guess their child uh, who seeming maybe lethargic or gained weight or lost weight, seems uninterested, any tips, things that you could suggest for parents who might be noticing some of those signs in their children? Absolutely. Well, not so much tips, but I think it would be helpful in terms of two things to do at this point, based upon uh, uh, the comment you just made, Gus. Let's talk about what signs they should be looking out for, because, uh, yes, I believe that the pandemic has exacerbated a lot of things for people in general and for our young people in particular. Uh, so... I'm going to, you know, again, I'm not um, stating these things like an expert. I'm stating these things from, from uh, you can, they can go right online and, and get them in terms of, you know, um, you know, basically what are the warning signs. You know, so we have, and I'm just going to state, state them, uh, talking about wanting to die or to kill oneself, looking for a way to kill themselves, like searching online or, buying a gun, talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live, talking about feeling trapped or in unbearable pain, 
talking about being a burden to others, increasing the use of alcohol or drugs, acting anxious or agitated, behaving recklessly, and that could be in a lot of ways, you know, spending money, uh, sexually, a lot of different uh, things when you will see uh, and there will, the signs will, and if you do read some of the literature, we'll talk about, about some of the behaviors. Sleeping too little or too much, you know, that could mean a sense of depression, as I said uh, in some of my interviews that I've held, that when you speak to people, they say, well, I thought that my son just wasn't getting up to go to school or to go to work and wasn't doing, et cetera. Well, hey, they're suffering from depression. Withdrawing or isolating themselves. Showing rage or talking about seeking revenge. Extreme mood swings. Um, well, you can have, you know, a history of trauma or abuse, major physical illness, previous suicide attempts, family history of suicide, job or financial loss, or something could happen in sports or in school, loss of a relationship. Uh, a lack of social support and sense of isolation. So these are just some of the things that, uh, you know, if one has experienced it, at least, again, parents should, should have the conversations, um, you know, with their loved one, because it doesn't necessarily could be a, it could be a parent, it could be, it, it could be an adult, it doesn't necessarily have to be a child. Uh, you know, we... We believe that for persons who die by suicide do not warn each other. Well, I'm reading from one of the uh, Samaritan uh, booklets. No, that's not true. Uh, uh, out of every ten people who die by suicide, eight give def definite clues about their intentions. People who talk about suicide are only trying to get attention. They won't really do it. Wrong. They... Will few people die by suicide without first letting someone else know how they feel? Um, so, uh, you know, and then I, we can go into what I learned as well as some of the things that you conversations and the do's and don'ts when you're when you're having a person who may be talking about suicide. But we can go into that when you're ready, Gus. Again, Mr. Joseph. D. Feaster, uh, excellent suggestions uh, for parents, things to be alert about. I guess to, when you said you started doing some of this work, uh, it seemed maybe uh, cathartic uh, as well for you uh, after losing your son. Uh, you said you started going around and talking to folks about these issues. Uh, and the re one response that you heard from the parent was she said, man, I, I thought my my child just might have been a little bit lazy. And that one stuck with me again now, especially Mm -hmm. black boys and she thought he was lazy now, I told you that hit a special nerve for me because I'm sensitive about that word lazy being used to describe black people but I just think in general like you were saying we don't often we don't really see black people as being victims of mental health problems it'll be attributed to something else I just thought that was a really poignant moment can you kind of speak to that yeah well I mean that was I mean it was interesting for me uh, because, in fact, that was early on. That was shortly after my uh, my son had passed, and I was doing this at my church. And, you know, again, I 
one who will always take the experience that I had and try to be helpful to others. And but what, notwithstanding what her response was, the part, the the, the um, gratifying part was was getting people to talk and to express themselves on that subject. So to have her say, well, that's what I thought it was, and to learn that that was not the case, to me, that was refreshing enough. But, yes, the first thing was, hey, you know, the person was being lazy, not, you know, not wanting to go to work, not wanting to go to school. Yes, that was the initial response. And I just took it as, hey, now we can educate, because I was focused on educating people around the whole question of mental illness and suicide. So I took that statement in strides and tried to just provide the 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 appropriate response, which was, no, that's not what your son was experiencing. This is what was going on. Still learning, still learning, and always appreciate honesty. I mean, sounds like she was receptive to learning, so hey, we can we can learn and do better. Right on. Um, what what do you think it is specifically about uh, black boys that is making them more susceptible? Well, uh, again, uh, my my sense is some of that can be uh, societal because uh, <clears throat> remember, well, I can think about it in terms of my own self being a black boy. The, the it's a matter of you supposed to be strong. You aren't supposed to cry. You aren't supposed to show fear. You aren't supposed to show uh, uh, no uh, um, affections. These are all of the types of things, and so you suppose that, you know, toughen up, um, you know, bear it all, and if you grow up in that, that means that everything that may be troubling you, you can't talk about, and so therefore it keeps inside of you, and it gets bottled up and bottled up and bottled up. So, you know, as you grow into adulthood, uh, all of that, is, is is still there. So those are the external factors. And then you talk about all the other things that one faces. So you go to uh you know, you go to certain schools and you're treated a particular way. You go to other you know, some other schools you're 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 treated a different way by teachers and by your uh, uh colleagues. You go work at you go to a job, you're you're treated differently. So all of these things begin to build up, and it has the in, an impact on that. That's not to say that black girls and black women don't don't uh, don't experience it, but it it is it is obvious to me that black boys and black men are treated differently in this society, and so there are the circumstances around them are exacerbated um, because of who they are. Black Miss Andre, um, do you think your son, outside of you, uh, you talked about, you know, hey, I'm an attorney. I don't exactly work at McDonald's, so I have, you know, resources to help my family out and such. Um, besides yourself, do you think that your son had resources like other people that he could go and, and talk to and, and kind of lean on for support? Um, well, both. Both his mother, stepmother, and his sister, uh, for sure. Um, you know, um, I, I was a, a major influence in my son's life. So I think that, and 
I, with both my daughter, who was the older of the two, and my son. And you know, you know, I, I'm my daughter consults with me on a lot of things now, and she's in her forties. It's just a matter of relationship. I raised them the same way I was that we can have the conversation when 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 it's a adult child situation. We can have the conversation because that's how I was raised. But at the end of the day, I, as the adult, will make uh, the final decision. But uh, generally, we would have a conversation and 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 talk these things through. So I think that uh, in that respect, uh, you know, if you call my daughter right now without me even you call her without me, I even knowing Gus, and she'll tell you no. Uh, we we were able to. Um, get the type of support that we needed. Both, both she'll say, both her brother and she were able to do that. So, you know, um, the my son was in sports and all, but I would say that now outside of the nuclear family, I would say that that's where he uh, gained most of his support. He was a bright young man, uh, personable, etc. So it wasn't a coach. Uh, even though he played basketball, football, and uh, and all of that, I think he relied upon the support within his uh, nuclear family. Right on, right on. Much obliged for your candor, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida, actually with us, uh, helped get at the intro, or we used his sharing to get the introduction together. Uh, if you had a question for Mr. Feaster, uh, retired firefighter, should be with us. Did you have a question, sir? Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking about a question, but some uh, a a uh, statement just comes to mind, uh, and that is uh, NFL Hall of Famer uh, coach. Tony Dungy's uh, son also committed suicide uh, mm-hmm. years ago, uh, and and the the guest uh, sounds some uh, uh, what he's expressing sounds somewhat similar to Mister Dungy, uh, which to me it 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 shows some sort of consistency. And uh, I, I'm also not an expert on the subject matter, but I, I would think something that can show some kind of consistency can better help medical authorities on either remedy, remedying the problem, or, or making it making it, making it a little bit more have can, can contribute. More choices for that that person who is suffering to the extent that they would want to go to the uh, that that level of uh, uh, to uh, relieve themselves of their troubles. I'll put it that way. Uh, it was just I was just thinking about it, you know, out loud to myself while I was listening listening to the program itself but uh also i I would say in in my entire career most of the suicides that i uh uh bonded to responded to were young black males uh there was one to the point 
to whereas uh, this person actually attempted to locate exactly where his heart was uh, to use a firearm uh, uh, in his chest. But fortunately for him, uh, he uh, he either, I, I put it way, he either missed or missed on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. To kind of like, from the standpoint to get, uh, you know, in other words, it serves as a warning. You know, I, it is something really bad that's happening inside of me, and I and I need people to pay attention to it. That sort of thing. You know, it's 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 a way of speaking, so to speak. But uh, me, that's, that's, I can only speculate. But go ahead, go ahead, sir. You, you're trying to say something. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I wanted to find out. I just want to address you by your name. Uh, I just want to say, Mr. Firefighter, what is your name, sir? Imani, Michael Imani. Okay. Brother Imani, I, you know, you're absolutely correct. That person was, was, was uh, I, I can't say whether his failed attempt at suicide was, uh, was actually a cry out for help, but definitely the, the attempt should have been seen as a cry out for help and that's when folks should have done the interventions to try to be of assistance to to him as best they could, because as I said, the system is in fact broken. So, you know, you're uh, mulling this over, and and deliberations around this are are key because we don't have the answers. No one has the right. answer. We don't know what's what's lurking in one's mind. What will be the trigger? Yeah, we can say generally. These are the types of things you want to look for. If you find a person who is doing, because a lot of people who suffer from mental illness will do what we call the cuttings, and I'm sure you may have seen this in your business, uh, Brother Monty, in terms of, you know, people with cuttings on their arms, et cetera. That's all part of it because oh, yeah. what, I've, what I found and, and what I read, uh, people with mental illness, and there's a program that showed that a person who is suffering with mental illness, and I'm not even going to deal with the question of whether they're suicidal or not, their world is going in, I mean, in rapid pace. It, it's, you know, it almost looked like you were running a, uh, a Super 8 film <laughs> at high speed. That's how their mind is going. That's how they're seeing the world. So when you see the programs on their TV, there's one on a commercial one where they show that person when they get into the manic stage and they're just doing, oh, everything. They're going out, they're spending money, they're, they're washing clothes, they're doing this, they're doing that. That's, that's what happens when the person is in a manic state. The flip side of that, and that's why they call it bipolar, is when one is in a depressive state, when they can't move. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't, you know, they can't, you know, and that's where people see it as, oh, you know, they're being lethargic, et cetera. No, they're dealing with, in terms of one doesn't even understand what depression is. It's not a matter of being sleepy. It's talking about you just can't physically move. And so mm -hmm. the main thing we need to do is to have people become educated to know what the various mental illnesses are so that they can identify them and know the stages that folks are in. But And, and yes, there are times when they will give the signs. And like I just read from the suicide, um, from the Samaritan's book, most of the times they will give indications um, um, that there is something going on. And yes, sir. You know, 
help me, help me. So just wanted to add that in, Brother Money. Yes, sir. Much obliged. Retired firefighter, Brother Imani. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thomas in New York, did you have a question for Mr. Feaster? Yes, good evening, Gus. Good evening, Mr. Feaster. Um, a lot of what you say is resonating with me, uh, and I wanted to know if I can um, speak to you offline about some things that I'm witnessing and um, see, see if Certainly. I need to, to uh, make any moves. Uh, thank you. Uh, can you just um, leave a contact me, um, address, email address or something, and I can um, probably email you well, that only thing, Gus. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, in terms of fine, I can, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how Gus wants to, uh, to handle this in the sense of this type of inquiry, which you can, it, I don't know if Gus is their way in order to get Thomas's number so he doesn't have to broadcast this online, uh, and then you can get it to me. Is that how you handle that? How would you, uh, what's your process? Let's see. We normally just repeat everyone's number and uh, personal identifying information over the airwaves. Um no, I will. Okay. I can just forward. He said, "Okay, I just, I'll just forward, uh, Mr. Feaster." I can just give my number. That's yeah. Okay. Oh my lord! I'm uh, sorry, Thomas. What did you say? Yikes! I, I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to forward his email, but okay. Oh well, it's up to you if That's you cool. wanted to, because we're you know we're broadcasting here, so I didn't know if you want to put your number on broadcast or not. Uh, I can also give you a number where you can leave your number for me. How's that? Perfect. I can give you that number. I can give you this number right here on air. I don't mind if you have this number. So I, I'll give I'm you ready. a number that you can call me. Call me on. Leave your number, and then I can speak with you. So, um, but if you remember, I'm on the East Coast. I, well, you're in New York, so we both on the East Coast. But here's the number you can call me on and leave your number and just mention that it was on. You were uh, you would call your Thomas, who was on Gus's uh, program. And uh, here's the number you can use: six one seven. Seven seven eight zero zero one two. Thank you very much. Okay. Yes, and definitely, I'm 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 gonna be looking for your call, Thomas. Okay. Tomorrow I will call you. Okay. Much obliged, brother Thomas, brother Imani. Uh, the number again: seven two zero seven one six. Seven three hundred, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, I guess, especially if we have parents, if you have you know thoughts, questions, observations. Uh, don't be bashful. Don't wait till the last minute either. Go ahead and press star six one. Uh, if you have a comment and or question, um, they've had, I mean, they've had social media for a while now, uh, Twitter and all the rest of it. I mean, you've got newer sources as well, but, uh, this stuff has been out for more than a decade, but what sort of role do you think that may or may not be playing, uh, in this increase in suicide for uh, black youth, especially Mr. Feaster? Well, <laughs> if, one of the things is that 
the unfortunate part with any type of advances is always the negative aspects of which will come into play. And what we what we have, oftentimes those platforms are used to antagonize and deter wives. People, particularly the young folks, we use it as uh, as far as my. Again, this isn't by way of opposite, uh, observation because I don't have teenagers uh, in my ho- household now. But they use it. They sometimes weaponize that, um, and that gets to some of the things I talk about as far as some of the circumstances, meaning trapped or feeling trapped or unbearable pains, withdrawing or isolation, uh, rage or revenge. So social media can be a, a platform for um, terrorizing folks, and we have had the circumstances where uh, deaths by suicide have occurred because one has either been ban- uh, banished by a group of people talked about, exposed negatively. So parents need to be uh, mindful of what's going on and monitor, particularly at their youthful persons that are on social media. They need to monitor that. And I can tell you that my personality is where it is. If I can't monitor it, you can't use it. <laughs> so, so my sense of it is uh, parents have to be mindful because, the worst thing is, well, I didn't know. Well, you know, I'm not going to cast dispersion here or blame, but my sense is you got to pay attention to what's going on, particularly in this day and age with young people. Hmm. He said, if I can't monitor it, you can't you. I'm trying to process this here since he already said he's 71. So, so, and you already can see you don't have teenagers in the house. So I'm trying to process. How does, how does this work, Mr. <laughs> Feaster? Let's try to, let's rewind this back. Let's, hey. let's put your household so you have a teen. Are you telling me your 15 year old says, Hey, man, it's, you know, I need some privacy. You can't just be all on my TikTok every five minutes and, you know, looking down to see what I'm on Twitter about. Is it, how, how does, the, how would this work in the Feaster household, sir? My house, my rules. I'm, yeah, I'm serious. I mean, in terms of, you know, I am a total disciplinarian. See, this is the problem what I find in society, and I don't want to get into it, casting dispersions on where folks are. My sense of it is there has to be a sense. Somebody has to be in charge, and that's what's going on now in our society. There's no level of accountability. There is the society tells you you can't. You know, my parents didn't brutalize me when they when they disciplined me. They, you know, uh, yes. Did we get spanked? Yeah, we got spanked. Uh, yes. Did we get punished? Yes, we got punished. Uh, we didn't have to worry about things being. You know, no one was going to take my cell phone because cell phones didn't exist. No one was going to take my laptop because laptops didn't exist. But the problem is that we're in a society right now that we parents can't say no. And so we're experiencing it in everything. My wife is a retired teacher. You ought to see, there's no way in life, Gus, that I could be a teacher. They would be locking me up. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Brother Imani, when he goes out there doing great public service for us as a first responder, he's running to folks who want to curse him out for the job that he's doing. So my sense as a society, 
you know, I think we're going in the wrong direction, and I think that we're going in there with regards to how we're rearing our young people. So, no, uh, you know, for me at 70, nobody under 40 can, can address me by my first name, ever. So what I'm saying is we've lost a sense of respect. We've lost a sense of community. We've, in my view, we've lost a sense of that children are children. And while I said earlier, I grew up with having the ability to have the conversation, even getting my opinion my parents would get, but at the end of the day, they would make the decision, and that's how I, uh, I did the same with my, with, with my children. Yes, sir, Mr. Feaster. Wow. My house, my rules. That is that. All of that still related to social media, which is super important. Uh, as he said, a lot of, even with both parts of the response, that a lot of the, the terrorism online and attacking people being fit, and particularly over the past 17 months or so with the COVID-19 shutdown since social media has been it for so many young people and older people too uh, that all of that terrorism and bullying uh, is even amplified because that's you know the whole world mm-hmm. or it has been for so many folks over the last 17 months or so so monitor be very and we, and, and we had our and, and Gus we had somebody in that build in, the, in, uh, in that White House who who felt that that was the appropriate thing? So, so again, everyone there were many who felt that it was just okay to do that. So again, we had a societal shift where people just oh, it's okay, you can say anything you want about somebody, you can do whatever you want on on any one of the social media platforms. So again, that's the attitude that exists in society right now, and it's 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 a dangerous phenomenon from my viewpoint. see our uh, Bay Area mom uh, that you have a question for Mr. Joseph D. Feaster uh, you should be with us as well ma'am Hi thank you for taking my call um, I have a question to the um, guest for the guest did you what school did you say your um, your what college, what was the first college your son went to? University of Pittsburgh, University of Massachusetts in Boston, and, and Northeastern University in Boston. I was wondering, I have a child, um, he's 20, he's in college. Um, I was just wondering, um, do you think that when he, I'm not saying it's the only issue, but just um, going into college, dealing with um the different um, students and whatever the expectations are, however they treat you in in school, and just the confusion of uh, what are you really going to do with yourself, especially how they beat you up a lot when you're black, particularly male in college. Do you think that was a, um that caused anything, or if he experienced that? And I'll mute my line. And thank you for taking my call. Okay. Um. No caller. Uh, I, I, can that be a, a factor? The answer is definitely yes. For those being, you know, uh, and those are the types of things to explore uh, and to be mindful of. And I think that particularly if your child is going away 
to school as as my son did going from Massachusetts to um to Pittsburgh um you have to stay vigilant now the problem is that you don't get any support in that instance because the, the colleges nowadays tell you that oh these folks are adults they don't have to they mean in the colleges don't have to communicate with you the parent not even the fact of whether their grades or anything else are are or how they're doing uh and unless like they did with <laughs> when we went to orientation with my son they said well we only do it if he says uh you can get it i leaned over i looked over at him and said yo man i'm up there i'm paying this bill you tell these folks that they need to send me the information that they need to do so i think that if um yes we need to look for all of these signs uh you know communicating as i did weekly with my son um if you uh you know uh he would come home on the holidays uh etc but uh, again i my real sense of it is it wasn't any external matters which may have resulted in my son creating a mental illness i think this is the issue talking about um what may be from a clinical standpoint um issues from a behavioral standpoint as far as uh things you know in the brain rather than anything else as opposed to societal or any other physical issues so but you need to pay attention to those types of things because yes uh we're finding as students who are going away to colleges we're finding more and more deaths by suicide at uh at, at colleges uh and that has increased uh across the country so we need to be vigilant we need to pay attention so it could be a factor and it's something that we should pay attention to much obliged uh bay area mom uh let's see other folks <clears throat> star 61 if you have a question for mr feaster again parents don't be bashful um i know you've talked before in some of the other presentations where you've addressed this issue and uh, you said that for uh, a good period of time there was I don't want to say stigma, but kind of a notion amongst black people that kind of, you know, we're so strong and, you know, look how much we survive. We don't suffer from, you know, suicide. That's a white people's uh, thing. You know, black people don't commit suicide, <laughs> which kind of helped. Am, are you snickering? Am I, am I putting words in your mouth or is this true to your to some degree? No, no, no. I'm snickering because the way that you stated, Gus, makes you laugh because that's exactly what it was oh yeah folks you say no oh, no nah, man that, that's suicide that's a white person thing black folks don't kill themselves They're wrong uh you know um the 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 numbers again i uh let me see what i have here um i i i use it i i'm looking at some trying to get some numbers here but i don't have the ones that i'm looking for that tell you about the number of persons afflicted is like is it's like 40 plus million across the country each year in terms of the uh you know uh people who are suffering the numbers are high i don't want to throw out numbers cuz someone will say oh pisa said x and he's wrong so I, i can't find the numbers and but there are numbers out there which will tell you uh what are the number of people uh annually who who are who are who, who are noted to be afflicted with suicide um 
and they have the breakdown by race and all of that, and you will find the numbers are, you know, are, are very significant in terms of uh, in in terms of the black community. So that 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 is clearly a myth that black folks don't commit suicide. And as the conversation has increased even uh, more so uh, in recent years, uh, that myth has been debunked. Uh, that is just not the case. Um, whether the number is percentage-wise to our numbers in the in, in the population and all of that, I just can't tell you. But that information is known. But I'll simply say yes, that, that idea that blacks don't commit suicide, that is definitely a misnomer. James D- uh, James Dungy, uh, Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning football coach, uh, his son committing suicide at the age of 18 uh, in 2005, just one of uh, many, if, you know, folks need an example. Um, we've heard <clears throat> some folks even over the years who've dialed in uh, where they've said they've attempted to bring up mental health issues, either where they had a problem and they felt that they needed help or this, they felt this was an important subject matter that more people should address, and rightly so. They've said they've made an effort, especially when attempting to speak to mental health professionals almost all the time with white mental health professionals, and they said even frequently with black mental health professionals, when they bring up black people, mental health needs, and racism, it gets shut down. Uh, when they try to say, hey, racism, I think, is also a part of why I'm having some of these mental health issues. And, I mean, hey, just keep talking about racism. We're not going to talk about that. We can't get to your mental health issues if you're just going to keep bringing up racism and blaming white people for things. And I've heard that from enough black people that it kind of discouraged them from seeking out mental health resources because they felt that they wouldn't be allowed to speak honestly about their experiences as a black person. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Mr. Feaster? I, you know, that's too, that's too general a statement. I know of many, uh, um, black psychologists and psychiatrists. I've never sat with them to talk about their, because they don't usually talk about their treatment methods at all. Uh, that seems surprising for me. What I will say is that there is insufficient number of, uh, of, uh, black and brown psychologists and psychiatrists, uh, that's for sure. And, in fact, I'm associated with um, uh, a college here in um, the William James College, which previously called the School of uh, Social Work uh, um, here, in trying to increase the number of persons in that field so you have some culturally competent uh, and culturally compassionate uh, clinicians to address some of these issues, I, you know, I, I, I never try to speak for all of anything, but I was surprised. I would be surprised by the the clinicians that I know here that that would be their method of uh, of um, of treating their their patients. Because as I understand, part of it is allowing the person to express what they believe is troubling them. So it sounds like to me that, as with anyone. Everyone's going to have their style. That, that if if they run into that individual who the response to their question talking about racism, because racism definitely does have its effect on one's mental health. If they find a person who wants to dismiss that, 
then they need to find another clinician, psychologist, or psychiatrist to us to assist them whatever treatment they need. That would be my recommendation. Right on, right on. Did your son uh did he did he have access to uh black mental health professional or professionals? My son could have access to whatever he wanted in that regard. As I said uh earlier, uh there was a sense of denial, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. So I he, while we while I will say that my son was uh, uh, bipolar. I never got an official, um, you know, uh, diagnosis of that because he wasn't going to get treatment. So my son was never treated by any um, uh, clinician because, as I said to you, once you're an adult, and only the only time when one will definitely get put into treatment is if they do as my son did, if they have a suicidal attempt and they will, but even there they just simply, simply try to stabilize them, or the other is if they get caught up in the criminal justice system. So, yeah, one gets treatment in the, some of the times in some of our correction institutions and our jails. But absent that, um, there's there's no requirement other than we passed a law here in Massachusetts that pediatricians have to ask this question of, of 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 young people now and to look for that in young people. We passed that law in Massachusetts some 10 years ago. But beyond that, if one's an adult and unless they are caught up in the this, in this system, there's no requirement. So in my son's case, no, he was, you know, he was self-medicating. Um, and he was functioning uh, until such time as uh, you know he um, death by suicide. So, so no, he chose not to get treatment when I could avail him of all of those uh, because I had those types of resources. But if they're an adult, it's their choice whether they want to take advantage of it. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest, uh, Mr. Joseph D. Feaster. Uh, I'll give out our number for parents or just folks in general. Uh, if you have a question you want to make sure you get in, uh, don't wait till the last minute. The number 720-716-7300. The code 564 nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate uh we've also many times like for years uh talked about talked about the point that you made in terms of needing to have more uh mental health professionals uh psychiatrists uh psychologists uh, black mental health professionals and folks who have that cultural competency uh, to deal with black people in a unique and competent way. Um, the, were you familiar with Dr. Frances Cress Welsing? She's a third generation physician, general child psychiatrist. She passed away at the beginning of 2016. Are you familiar with her work? Uh, no, I am not. Okay. She wrote, uh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, where was she uh, located, Gus? She uh, was born in the Chicago area, but she had been living and practicing in Washington, D.C. for decades. Um, 
30 years longer than that. I think she uh, graduated from uh, Howard University uh, in D.C. And then she had been practicing general and child psychiatry there for decades, as I said, and talking about racism. That was a big part of her uh, practice. And uh, she used mm-hmm. to uh, she was a guest on this program many times. But uh, she used to talk about black mental health uh, and saying how racism just disrupts black people's ability to qualify for mental health and she would just talk about her practice and how she would have so many black people that would come in and racism would be at the root of a lot of their or all of their uh, mental uh, health problems Uh, she would try and get them to Mm -hmm. speak honestly and deal honestly with that but yeah she would say the same thing just not having enough uh, medical professionals to black medical professionals and then black people who are willing and able to talk honestly about racism as a part of their therapeutic process but yeah just was curious if you yeah. knew about well her you know what but no i didn't know about her work but i there are other physicians we have some here in uh in uh in boston who speak on that subject uh oftentimes we had some commissioners uh like dr uh deborah proctor proctor was a commissioner of uh of public health here uh who said you know who categorize violence as a uh, social issue? Uh, you know, we have we we have a paucity of folks in across the whole medical uh, spectrum, um, and you know, and that's that's you know that's when we start talking about the clinical competencies uh, of that, and that's one of the things that had spurred the creation of the community health centers, the movement that I've been involved with since 1988, but which started in 1965, uh, was because, again, racism, because they didn't want uh, folks treated uh, in the waiting rooms uh, at the hospitals. And community health centers were created for that for that purpose and still provide that excellent medical care in many of our communities. But that was the origin uh, and the uh, initiative for the creation of community health centers. So we've experienced the issue of the connection between racism and poor health, uh, you know, um, historically. So, um, yes, we need that. But I didn't want to leave the program, Gus, if I can just uh, just segue back for a minute. I want to make sure that your, your uh, listening audience in case they have persons who are uh, uh, maybe experiencing or they think that any of those indices that I talked about um, may be prevalent in something that they see, like the question that Thomas wants to ask me tomorrow, uh, you know, there may be greater experts, and if Thomas is still listening, maybe he'll want to call this number. So I'm going to give him Samaritan's number, one eight seven seven. 877 870-4673 or the, the last four numbers are hope is one eight seven seven eight seven zero hope or you know you can give a person who may be feeling or be feeling suicidal they can they can call or they can text Samaritans we we now have the capacity to uh, for texting because we understand now you know I said I told you I'm 71 guests but a lot of the young folks like to text so we have a process for texting. The other thing is, and I even learned this in a, a presentation that I was making a couple of weeks ago, some of the things you say, well, 
if a person comes to you and they say that they feel that they are suicidal, what we say in Samaritans is, listen, ask, tell. So, and I'm just going to say some of the do's and don'ts. Give the person all of your attention. Don't talk about yourself, such as, oh, well, you know, I've been through, no. Listen, that's why I was saying earlier that it would surprise me that a person who is a clinician would dismiss what a person may be saying about the fact of how racism has played a part in terms of what they're feeling. Um, do ask questions. Don't give advice. I had to learn that because my whole training and orientation is to get to the solution, and that's what it doesn't need for a person who may be considering suicide. So we to do give all your attention. Let them talk about themselves. Ask questions. Don't give advice. Do show that you care. Don't tell them what they're feeling is unimportant. Do ask open-ended questions. Don't interrogate. Avoid why questions. Do ask the question directly. Do you sometimes feel so bad that you think about suicide? Don't avoid the pain or the topic. And do offer sincerity and compassion. Don't worry about finding the perfect words. Do ask for help. Don't try to handle the situation by yourself. So these are all things, you know, these aren't feaster idioms. This is from publications that Samaritan has because they've been in this in, in trying to address helping people when they are in crises. And so they have the helpline and they have booklets. They got chant, uh, classes. They have, you know, all types of things to help families, to help caregivers, for those who may be wrestling with the fact that uh, a loved one has committed suicide and how are they coping. All of these things are available with Samaritans. So I just wanted to leave that information, Gus, and back to you, my friend. Do we get uh, Samaritan's number one more time in case folks were tardy with their pen? Sure. I give Samaritan's number is one eight seven seven eight seven zero and the word hope which is four six seven three or they can text Samaritans spectacular Mr. Feaster let's see uh, Mo in Dallas uh, if you have a question for Joseph D. Feaster you should be with us sir good to hear from you <clears throat> Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, I can hear you. Um, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, greetings, Gus. Um, greetings, listeners and uh, callers. And uh, greetings to the guest, um, Mr. Uh, Feaster, is it, sir? Yes. F. Feaster? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for um, um, attending um, this program. And um, thank you for offering um, the information that you've gathered. Um, to us, uh, I, I'm a parent or attempted parent, and uh, and um, this information does help a lot. Um, I guess my my question, I, I, I do have a question. 
Gus asked if you were familiar with um, Dr. Welsing's work, and you said no. But you did name uh, other, I believe, clinical, uh, another clinical psychiatrist or psychologist. uh, I think her name was Deborah. I missed her name. I wanted to know if Uh, you... uh, No, 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 no. No, I said I I was talking about just generally across... No, she's not a, a in, in the uh, behavioral health area at all. She was okay. she is a physician, a Dr. Deborah Prothal Smith. Uh, she's okay. in California now, but she was the commissioner of public health here in in Boston. I said she met. She said that she uh, she uh, uh, coined that violence was a public health issue. Okay. So uh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so I talked about her. Up, in that, yes, in that um, relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question um, is: Do you um, have, a, uh, are you familiar with any other uh, clinicians that are that 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 have um, um, recognized and acknowledged the the the, the impact that uh, racism, white supremacy, um, has on a black person's mental health? And if you do um, have any clinician, could you give their names? I think the program would would like to hear if you do. Yeah, I I can't speak to that uh, Mo from Dallas simply because I don't, you know, I'm I don't approach this from the standpoint of uh, like I do. I, I approach my legal profession from trying to read all the literature and find out all the authorities on it. I deal with the issues of caregivers. I know I know many uh, folks here in my area who are. Um, psychologists or psychiatrists who practice, and as I said, I wouldn't know what their viewpoint might be with regards to the uh, how they may treat their uh, their patients. Uh, so I can't answer that particular question, but I'm not an authority on who may exist out there who may feel that, but it would be surprising to me uh, that anyone who is uh, black in America would not have a viewpoint that racism has an indelible impact on the black community uh, um, and in a negative sense. So, um, again, I couldn't give you any specific individuals uh, who have espoused that particular view, but I would be surprised that that view would not be espoused by many. Much obliged, Mo in Dallas. Uh, context of white supremacy. Um, wanted to make sure I, I asked as well. They've had so many reports over the past, almost uh, coinciding nicely with the pandemic about the increase in gun sales. Uh, they've talked about new gun owners, males, females, non-white people, black people specifically, like everybody. More guns, more guns, more guns for lots of reasons. Within all of that, several of the reports have said, hey, uh, when you're more people having more guns might just mean that you'll have more access to firearms for people to do some sort of self-harm. Uh, and that sort of thing, especially in this environment where everyone is stressed and all the chaos and what have you. Uh do you have any concern about the increased number of guns and then the increase in perhaps mental health issues over the past year and a half? Yeah, well, I think there's a, well, first and foremost, I, I want to disabuse folks of the notion that mental illness equals violence. Um, well, I will say that many of the, uh, uh, the Columbines, uh, 
and some of the mass shootings that have taken place, they have uh, intimated and in some instances shown that the person uh, may have suffered from mental illness. I want to disabuse folks of the notion that mental illness equals violence because that the, the facts just don't bear that out with uh, when you start to talk about statistically from the mental illness uh, and the question of violence. This issue around guns is a whole separate issue. I mean, that's the societal issue that which takes place uh, whereby this proliferation of guns, and partic particularly uh, guns of mass destruction, uh, such as the, uh, the, the AK-47 and AR-15s, uh, they're not doing those for hunting, they're not doing those for self-protection or any of that. Certainly when you have a higher proliferation of guns, you have a likely uh, proliferation of a number of things happening. If, uh, but I don't think it relates to a person who is seeking to, who may have a suicidal tendency, uh, those type of words, because if one want to uh, has suicidal tendencies and wishes to do it, there are so many different ways that they can do it that not necessarily would be suicide by a gun. I think the proliferation of guns is a whole nother experience that's going on in this country. It's fueled by, I, I, I think, this, uh, this, this isolation that may have taken place over the past year and a half is fueled by all of the, as you mentioned earlier, you said the TikTok and all of the social media uh, uh, proliferation of separateness that was articulated over the past five years. So I think that has fueled it on, and people are saying, hey, uh, I have a feeling that folks are going to be coming against me and I'm going to protect myself uh, or be in a position to protect myself. So I think it's more from the standpoint of protection, very little to do with uh, one's uh, tendencies toward mental illness, Gus. Certainly been a lot of that rhetoric, uh, folks wanting to protect themselves from rowdies and unruliness uh, over the past uh, year and a half or so. Uh, I'm going to double check to make sure. Did we miss any of the folks who dialed in who had uh, questions? Did we satisfy everybody who wanted to ask a question of Mr. Feaster? Nabbed everybody, didn't miss a hand. All right, Grant, make sure everybody was good for the broadcast. I can only say for uh, folks out there who are attempted parents, wow, that is a really hard job. I've said for years I do not have offspring, but be mindful, be alert. I think he said just engaging your child, you know, even if they're away at school or university, what have you, engaging checking in uh they might not be there physically but i mean everybody's doing zoom and all the virtual check-ins and what have you really converse with them ask questions as he's listen listen attentively as best you can to really be mindful uh, about changes uh in your offspring especially with all the stress that we've dealt with uh over the past uh year and a half or so with all this with covid19 uh as we kind of get ready to wrap up any any other resources uh or all right, I guess information that you mm -hmm. can make sure you leave attempted parents with especially? What I like to do is just to share with them in terms of my own upbringing and, and some of the things that I that I employed uh, as well, and they may be helped to these attempted parents. One is 
when I came away, I left New York to come away to college to Boston uh, at 17 years old, and I called home every Sunday uh, up until, and my father passed before my mom, but my mom passed in 2014. I spoke to my mother every Sunday uh, for all those years from 1967 <laughs> to her passing in 2014. She was in New York. So I'm saying, so that communication piece, I'm consistent with, uh, with, with that. Uh, you know, I had the conversation with the family, the, did the check-in, et cetera. I speak to my daughter uh, and my grandson every day, every day. Um, um, and, and, and my daughter is 42. Uh, my grandson just turned 11, graduated, and is going into the sixth grade. He's had his graduation just Monday. So what I'm saying is communication is the key. If you establish a relationship, it generally continues on. And I just say in terms of, yeah, I spoke about it just from the standpoint of my, 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 you know, my, my rules, my house. Yeah, that's, that's an attitudinal piece, but the way to get to that is to build that respect and that esprit de corps between you and that child so that they learn that they can always come to you, count on you, and you should be can, can be one of the first persons that they can seek the guidance, support, and love from. And to me, that's been the recipe that has worked for me in my own life personally and as well as worked with both my son and with my daughter and now with my grandson. So if I can just impart that's what's worked for, for me, if it's helpful to others, Feel, feel free to use it. Congratulations to your grandson. Moving on. Bigger and better things. Sixth grade to conquer. Wow. Um, definitely appreciate uh, getting the information from Mr. Feaster this evening. Communication. Uh, take parenting seriously take grandparenting seriously he said he talks to his daughter and grandson every day his daughter is old enough to call him by his first name and he talks to her every day wow (laughs) wow that is amazing like uh i uh i just it has been a pleasure and a treat. We are still learning and have learned a lot. Thank you for your, your candor and uh, being so generous with your time to hang out with us. Uh, make sure I get the entire name. Mr. Joseph D. Feaster. Man, thank you so much. We will definitely look forward to having you back. It is uh, maybe not the most fun conversation, but so vitally important, especially with everything that we've been enduring right now. So thank you for critical information, Mr. Feaster. Keep up your outstandingly important work, uh, your life's ministry, he called it. Keep up the good work. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on the broadcast, sir. Well, Gus, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Definitely, you are insightful and thoughtful. Um, if you feel that I'm that uh, that I am worthy of being on your program again, I'd be more than happy to be here. Absolutely, we support grandpas. Uh, congratulations uh, <laughs> to your grandson again, and uh, like I said, keep up the outstanding work. I'm pretty sure Thomas in New York will be following through to speak with you tomorrow. So. Right on with all that. Thanks for all right. uh, one of our listeners. And uh, yeah, get get your rest, sir. We will we will be in touch and look forward, as I said, to speaking with you again soon, sir. 
All right. Take care. God bless. Thank you, sir. Rest well. Mr. Joseph D. Feaster, our guest for the evening. Uh, pleasure having him on the program. I uh, hope it was worthy of folks' time and energy listening in, especially for attempted black parents like, man, I don't have children, say that all the time, and no qualifiers. I don't have offspring. That is a really hard job. Lifelong. He said he talks to his daughter every day. Lifelong. Difficult job, but very, very worthy. Just, wow. So much respect for folks who are attempted mommies, attempted daddies, grandparents include that, you know, as well. Like, wow. What a job. Um, We will take a quick commercial break. Come back. Check in. See if folks have any thoughts what they heard uh, for the broadcast and then give the schedule rest of the week here at the cows context of white supremacy. Maybe we can give two shout outs uh, for grandparents for the day. How about that? Let's see. Uh, We will be right back. And from the late 1960s, after the death of Martin Luther King and the riots and upheavals and all like this, and black people with their fists in there and all like that and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focus. The white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action. And that is, I'm going to have these people so confused, they don't even know what they started out to do. And by the late 1970s, they had just about completed it. And we've been on that ever since. And you mentioned something very important. They are more comfortable than ever. But see, it's like making gorillas comfortable in a cage or monkeys or pandas. You still got them in a cage, but they are comfortable. See, so give him some bling bling. It's like giving an animal a brand new car and training the animal to ride up and down the street in it. And then you stand back and point at the animal. Like one white man said in the late 1950s, he said he doesn't care what kind of car a Negro has. He said he's still a nigger. And when he rides by in a shiny car, to him, it's just a monkey in a car. White people built a car put a monkey in it, train the monkey to drive the car, so now you're looking at a monkey in a car. See, but black people don't see themselves that way. But this is how the white supremacists see us, and they are the ones who run our business. And we have to know that, that when they look at us, that's what they see. That that's what they see. That that's what they see. And at a subliminal level, what they see begins to spill over into our brains so that we, at a subliminal level, see each other that way and indirectly see ourselves that way. Context of white supremacy. Neely Fuller, Jr. We will be here on... Thursday for the book club 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific Randall Sullivan Labyrinth 
uh, his book uh, about the assassinations of Tupac Shakur, Notorious B.I.G. I guess you put Kevin Gaines in there as well, although he's not really in the title for the book. But uh, yeah, that'll be this coming Thursday. I am muted. Unmuted. I am excited. uh, Looking forward to it. Uh, It's so related to O.J. Simpson. Randall Sullivan, the white author, he came out like so strong. He put his flag down. Bang. Johnny Cochran, no good Johnny Cochran got off a murderer. Like, really? Really? (sighs) Make it plain, white author. So we can keep all that uh, registered moving ahead. And I'm having fun just doing the research around the case. I didn't know about the shooting of Kevin uh, Gaines, black officer. By I knew about it loose. I didn't know a lot of details. I didn't know a lot of details. So it's been great reading. And they have made lots of movies uh, about all this. They made a, a movie specifically about the book that we're reading, City of Lies, with Forrest Whitaker and Johnny Depp. And they put all these like big time Hollywood stars in it. They made another movie, uh, Rampart, which is about the same period of time, same LAPD criminal activity with. Uh, Woody Harrelson Ice Cube is in it for goodness sake like (laughs) I'm having a blast it's not quite OJ Simpson but I mean it is totally related same group of characters the first week they're talking about the LAPD officers are scared of being called racist and have a Johnny Cochran interrogate them in the courtroom like looking forward and we haven't even gotten to the assassinations of Tupac Biggie Smalls. You haven't even got that far in the book yet. We just got through part one. Race card. Labyrinth on Thursday. Before we get back to our super important subject matter for the evening, uh, since we talked about black mental health, black self-respect is something Dr. Welsing talked about frequently as well, sometimes related. More black self-respect, perhaps the better your black mental health, maybe? How you treat other black people may be a measure of your black mental health as well. Anyway, I think we said for a long time, or at least several years now, try to eat well, use logic, uh, what you have on your plate, on your fork, chopsticks, spoon, whatever, uh, that that is countering racism. That right there is helping to end the system of white supremacy racism. Uh, so plant-based eating, fruits, veggies, putting, you know, the meat, dairy, all that stuff down. Uh, talked about being a grandparent. Mr. Feaster said he talks to his grandchild every day and his daughter. Uh, there is a black female. She works at the co-op where I shop and get lots of my wonderful uh, produce that I'm always bragging about and people that you know watch on social media where I post pictures and stuff like love going to this co-op they just have amazing uh, produce really fresh just how can you go wrong Uh, so this black female she's worked there for years so I always see her when I go in super helpful super courteous I'll chat it up with her whenever so I went in last time and she said she was leaving she's moving uh, grandmother attempted she's moving to help out her uh, grandchildren or be with her, uh, be with her grandchildren, I guess, help out her daughter. It's like, oh man, that's spectacular. She was like, yep, I went to visit and saw my grandchildren in person, hadn't seen them in a while. Just like, what am I doing up here? Like, I have grandchildren. I need to be a grandmother. It's like, that is talk logic. 
talk logic. Uh, she was like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm uh, leaving. My last day is Thursday. I'm blowing this place. It's like, all right, right on. Uh, and so I said, she, and I had been telling her, cause like, she's like, oh, wow, you cooks all this stuff and you're vegan. Like, oh, that's crazy. So what do you cook? So I was showing her pictures of some of the different things that I have uh, made. And I was like, oh, okay. What's your favorite dessert? She was like, uh, blueberry cheesecake. And I was like, man, I will make blueberry cheesecake. And I'm not a cheesecake connoisseur. Uh, I said in the post, the closest that I've ever been to the cheesecake factory is I, ro- I walked near the ruins after the Seattle downtown cheesecake factory was looted last spring after George Floyd was murdered. I walked by it. I think that's the closest that I have been to the cheesecake factory. Other than that, never even seen a menu. I have had cheesecake in my life. I'm just saying I'm not the cheesecake expert. Anyway, so I make this blueberry cheesecake. I was a little nervous. Didn't have a springform pan for folks who don't bake. You have to have a special pan or I wouldn't say you have to, but generally you have the special uh, equipment to make cheesecakes. So you could pop them out of the pan, all this other stuff. No springform pan, no wet bath, all vegan, even the graham crackers, no honey. Wow, I was so pleased in it. Blueberry cheesecake. So the, there were blueberries in the cheesecake and blueberries on top of the cheesecake. Like, wow, uh, it was so good. Like, well, it was so good. I made the cheesecake for someone else that I seriously thought like, wow, I don't know. Is there a way I can take the cake back? what they call it Indian giving maybe I can do that I can reacquire the cheesecake and take it with me (laughs) like uh, it was that delicious like the the crust have to spell crust with a capital C when I talk about that cheesecake because the crust was so (sighs) black self-respect support black grandmothers and plant that's what I told her plant-based eating because she had been saying that she wanted to eat better she said she felt like she had put on a little bit of weight during the whole shutdown and everything and she wanted to take better care of herself eat better totally plant-based cheesecake i said maybe this will inspire you you can switch up your cooking do some plant-based eating like you can still have all the things that you normally like uh you don't want to eat cheesecake every day but i mean hey you can make lots of things sugarless uh plant-based whole foods and have lots of the same yummy delicious things and eat well every day so that was the thought process but wow really tough it would have been great to be selfish on that one like you can have one slice a small one and I'll have the rest black grandmothers black grandfathers Uh, guest for the program today Mr. Feaster it's the cow still white guests only I said we would have some exceptions I thought this would be a important constructive uh, exception uh, important uh, for parents with everything I think we I've said repeatedly uh, it's been extraordinarily traumatic just white supremacy in general and then everything since the whole Rona started uh, but for children they have had so much disrupted 
uh, not being able to go to school or school is going to be virtual or activities. School is not quite the same and you can't do all the stuff that you would normally do. And you got to be cooped up in the house with your stupid parents all the time. And I mean, just on and on and on. And then they said the other COVID-19, you got all these children who put on all this way. Like, man, it has been rough. Uh, if you think it's been hard for older people and it has man children have had a really tough time we got it in the archives too talking to some of the young folks so yes uh, I hope if you have parents like really are talking it up maybe make them a cheesecake <laughs> they'll feel bill blueberry cheese everybody will feel better with a slice of the vegan blueberry cheesecake like whew. But for real, like, and I'm even being serious, like I was joking a little bit, but I mean, seriously, like what you eat has a big impact, um, like being able to spend some time because you can actually be together and make the cheesecake together, spend some time cooking together in the kitchen and talk about things and or just listen, have some soothing music on like that makes such a big difference. And then you can have some soothing human contact that you can eat together. Like, I think uh, retired firefighter, we sp- talked about that, how, you know, he was saying just eating together and Mr. Feaster talked about that with separation just little things like that we used to eat together or if you ate together be it family or it's for children at school you at least get to eat together with your friends even that's been disrupted for a lot of folks you can't eat out and then you might not be eating with even other people so I mean just so many small things uh, to be disrupted over the past 18 months or whatever it's been cooking together that can be an easy one if folks are looking for an activity it's like we'll find a recipe we'll think of something that we really like if we love going out to eat you know whatever it is we'll pick out our uh, entree uh, or dessert whatever and we'll make a plant-based version a healthy version see if we can make something that tastes really good and then we can sit down and eat together like something like that you can hang out in the kitchen cook clean up get the kitchen you know spiffy again eat have the experience take some pictures and all that you can have some posts for tiktok that are not uh destructive where you're not on their coon of the decade and all this just po hey hung out with you know whatever victim of white supremacy we had a constructive time we did some constructive cleaning some some constructive eating and then we went our separate ways nourished spiritually maybe physically you know maybe something to try out especially if you get a vitamix Oh, I meant to say that since I've been all vitamin 100 year anniversary, they have huge sales. Not that I'm, you know, an affiliate of Vitamix or anything like that. But if you were trying to acquire one, now is the time. 100 year anniversary. They have like huge. You just you just have to time it right. But they have like hundred sixty dollars sales and hundred dollars sales and all that stuff all year long. So it would just be timing it right and maybe just looking uh, shopping for the right outlet and all the rest. I'd say probably especially July 4th so called probably be a time where they'll have some nice sales. You could nab one for a really good deal. But that can be a great one. We'll play with the Vitamix and make you know smoothies, soup uh, gravy and then some ice cream. You can make some ice cream for dessert. Make a whole course with the Vitamix. Anywho, uh, folks have thoughts, comments that they want to share uh, based on what they heard from Mr. Feaster, uh, black mental health uh, suicide rates for black children. He's especially black 
boys, if any folks have any thoughts as to why that might be the case and or if they think those, you know, reports are false. Although I said, you know, hey, so we got retired firefighters, independent observation, anecdotal, they say. Mr. Feaster and in the reports, numerous of them say the same thing. So they could all be just either wrong or lying to us. We'll put retired firefighter. I guess he could be inaccurate. He could be mistaken, maybe. The other ones could be wrong, maybe. Uh, do folks think that's accurate? And if so, why is that the case in a system of white supremacy? Uh, any thoughts, uh, folks who are listening in? Can I be heard? Retired firefighter? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, and, and additionally to uh, the uh, the effort to eliminate oneself, uh, there is a... Uh, hold, hold on. There is uh, also tons of uh, experiences where young people, young black males, uh, engage in a lot of reckless behavior due to the uh, stress factors in their everyday lives. Uh, I would say also directly to the the system of racism, white supremacy, which is not always easily easy to articulate, uh, and and that's one of the that's one of the uh, perhaps one of the uh, motivations to engage into rec what I identify as reckless behavior, such as when I first started at the last high school that I coached at. Uh, Within about maybe two weeks of being on being at that particular school, uh, one of the one of the one of the uh, young people uh, was killed on a, on a uh, motorcycle, uh, the dirt bike type. Dirt, the dirt bikes are not used in dirt, <laughs> primarily with with uh, black males. They're not used as a dirt bike, as it's what it's specifically designed for. What black males use with dirt bikes is out on the streets and highways and expressways, popping wheelies all over the place. You, first of all, a motorcycle is a dangerous object anyway. And you take it out of its, you take something like that out of its element and attempt to practice some dangerous maneuvers with it, like willies and whatnot, that sort of thing. You know, it, 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 it's I, I can't help but to uh, match it with the, you know, I, I guess is a, is a means of relieving the stress. Uh, you know, relieving relieving the stress that they that they have. Uh, that sort of thing, uh, and uh, they still do it now. The same, the same, the same young people that I work with, because I, I look at their Facebook 
I look at their Facebook, and they still do it. They still do it. Uh, with the one that got killed, they dedicate, they dedicate, they have dedication to him because they, they wear his number. They wear his, his football number, uh, in remembrance of him. And they're specific about the date that he was killed, uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, other things like, uh, the, the playful behavior with guns. And eventually somebody is going to get hurt or killed in the process. You know, not necessarily going and robbing somebody, just playing with guns. You know, as far as that concerned, handling guns and whatnot and not, not practicing safety with them. All of a sudden you thought something was, uh, not loaded and it actually had a round in the chamber. It's an accident or a death that's waiting to happen. Uh, so those are additional things that goes along with someone successfully uh, committing suicide that goes along with that. Thank you. Much obliged, Brother Imani. Um, <laughs> the uh, reckless behavior widespread uh, and encouraged uh, in the system of white supremacy. Uh, they don't promote like <clears throat> organic baking or uh, organic farming, you know, say we want to get all the young folks. No, we want something violent and where you might get killed or might kill somebody else or both or that type of a thing. Um, but that recklessness, I think just a general lack of value for black life. I think you see it articulated with that recklessness that black life is not valued. My life is not valued. So what does it matter? You know, go out and play with this gun and whoops, there's a round in the channel. Well, you know, no big deal. Uh, let's go out and ride. As he said, let's go out and ride these dirt bikes on the concrete. And, you know, somebody, well, you know, black lives aren't really valued that much. That's it's the same kind of thing with the playing around with sex, you know. Having a child, eh, it's not really, not really that big a deal. It's not, you know, valuable life. So not that big a deal if we can take care of it. Haven't planned this out, thought this through. It's only a nigger child. It's not, I'm not saying it's uh, consciously thought through, but I think that is, that it's how it's articulated the worthlessness of black life. Lots and lots of reckless behavior alcohol was talked about lots of reckless behavior um yeah man uh that is the system of white supremacy racism uh let's see uh any other folks commentary that they want to make sure they are able to share folks satisfied can process what they heard as, as I said for parents especially process be mindful spend time with your children uh, I know Dr. Wilson talked about that and uh, spacing it out when you have children so that you can invest all of that quality time in checking in and monitoring and all that good stuff seeing what they're doing on social media and what are they eating and all that um, 
yeah, people are valuable, especially the folks that you're responsible for them being on the planet. Uh, yeah, they are, invi- are invaluable, said it correctly the first time. So, yeah, kudos to all the hardworking parents uh, in making sure uh, or I guess doing all that you can to nurture the mental health of your offspring. We will be here on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Randall Sullivan labyrinth this week I believe gets right to assassination of uh, Christopher Wallace aka Notorious B.I.G. 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific two days Uh, much obliged to all the folks called in listen live or archive hope it was worthy of your time and energy we uh, will see you all in about 48 hours Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy we will need high level high functioning brain computers to solve this problem in addition to being sober uh, if you are going out and about I would be very alert about what is happening uh, in your area Uh, lots of armed folks out and about ecstatic about no they just had a report matter of fact they had a shooting today uh, over masks I uh, didn't even get to see the full details before we went on the air let me make sure I get it right let's see it was over masks that was just today where was this at this was in Georgia I don't like CNN but this is local to CNN so let's see Georgia authorities identify a grocery store cashier killed after a face mask dispute this is today let me see the timestamp on this so this is 328 uh, p.m. Eastern so it is currently 10 so this is seven hours ago today uh, Georgia authorities identified a grocery store cashier killed during a face mask dispute and the man accused of shooting her DeKalb County Police said Lakita Willis sounds like a yeah, black female victim of what a disgrace was the victim in Monday's shooting at Big Bear Grocery Store in Decatur just outside of Atlanta. Willis was killed <clears throat> after an argument over a face mask. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said the GBI said Victor Lee Tucker Jr. 30 of Palmetto, Georgia entered the store shortly after 1 p.m. and got into an argument with a cashier about his face mask during checkout. Tucker left the store without making a purchase but immediately returned the GBI said he walked directly up to the cashier later identified as Willis pulled out a handgun and shot her authorities said I'll stop there Uh, folks can uh, move forward but yeah this is still you know the type of environment that we have so be mindful Uh, I've said consistently for about 18 months now avoid confrontations with strangers you should be thinking this fella this gal could be armed no arguments squabbling over nothing if it got if it's got to this point this person is hostile or I'm not gonna do it or or whatever it is like you can tell security or what have you and I would distance exit get out of here it's no time to be squabbling with strangers in public this person might have a whole entourage that's armed and ready to do violence same thing I've said if you didn't leave prepared to die and or kill exit 
That's it, creator. We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.